Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we are in week 15 of our series, The Story, and we are going through the whole book, uh, the whole Bible, um, book by book, from Genesis to Revelation, and just being aware of what God has been doing all through human history, this unfolding plan of God's redemption of the human race. And uh, this week, we are in the Age of Kings. We actually started it last week, and what we saw was um, that because of the self-will and selfishness and self-centeredness of kings, actually what happened is it ended up splitting the kingdom in two. And, and this, this ongoing quest for power and, 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 and prestige and all of that drove people to destroy the community. And because the kings, and the whole book of kings, second kings, first kings, chronicles, first and second chronicles, that's all the recounting of these kings that, that God would raise up, but who would eventually slip and do it evil in the sight of the Lord. And and actually lead the kingdom away from God. And this, these kings that God had called and raised up actually ended up not doing God's work and not leading God's people in God's ways. And so what God started to do was he started to raise up spokesmen for him, his messengers who would stand against the status quo, who would speak out against injustice and idolatry and the wickedness that was going on in the nation. And these spokesmen would come out. They were called prophets. And the, the, the last third of your Old Testament is pretty much the writings and the stories of the prophets. And they're actually broken down into two different categories. There are what are called the major prophets and the minor prophets, okay? And there's a difference between the two. And um, just as kind of a, for those of you who didn't get four years of, of biblical um, studies, okay, this is going to be kind of a little bit of information. We'll start with a little bit of a pop quiz. So there's the minor prophets and the major prophets. So here's the question is, how did the minor prophets get their name? Where did it come from? So here's a multiple choice. Minor prophets were given their designation, A, because they all completed their ministry before they turned age 21. B, because their message was considered secondary to that of the major prophets. C, because they prophesied in small towns and countrysides rather than in large cities. Or D, because their prophecies could all fit on one scroll. All right? Okay, here we go. How many say first A? They completed their ministry before their 21st birthday. No takers on that one at all. Wow, I thought that was a pretty good answer. Uh, How about this one? B, their messages were considered secondary to that of the major prophets. How many choose B? Okay, about almost half. Okay. Um, C, because they prophesied in small towns and countrysides rather than in the large cities. How many selected that one? Okay, about the same. Uh, How many did D, their prophecies could all fit on one scroll? The correct answer is D. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? Four years college right there. Now you got it. Okay. That's essentially it. Their, their prophecies were just as important, just as vital, but essentially it's just less material. And so all of their works could be considered, could actually be combined on less than a scroll. Sometimes it was a couple of them all on the same scroll, but that's basically this. That's it. The minor prophets are simply called minor because less material, less information. Now, we're, today we're going to look at one of the minor prophets. His name is Hosea. And, and though he's given the designation a minor prophet, he was by no means minor. His message was not minor. His life was not minor. Now, like all the prophets, his message was tough to hear. 
He stood up and he spoke against things and he spoke of God's anger and God's judgment. But what we know about Hosea, what we find out in the first three chapters is why God is angry. And he actually, actually Hosea is called not just to speak God's words, he's actually called by God to live them out. And when you understand the story of Hosea, when you look at the story of Hosea and it begins to make sense to you, you begin to understand this is a picture of the heart of God. And, and it's one of the most powerful books, one of the most gut-wrenching books in all of the Old Testament, and all of the Bible, really, because in it, we begin to see the heart of God. And, and there's two big things, one, two big points for this. If you can take nothing else, okay, I'm going to give them to you up front. These are the points of the sermon, okay? If you get nothing else, get this. There is nothing that you can do that will make God love you any more than he already does. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he already does. And secondly, there is nothing you can do that will make God love you any less. And if you take nothing else home today, I want to drive that truth home to you. This Hosea story is a story of God's relentless love. And in his story, in his life, we begin to see God's love for his people, for Israel, and for us. So we're going to take these both and unpack them a little bit. Let me start with this. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he already does. Hosea's story begins with God's call on his life. And it kind of goes a little bit like this. I'm extrapolating, but it goes kind of like this. Hosea, I want you to be my spokesman. I want you to stand against the tide of culture. I want you to stand up and say, this is not right. Turn and return to God or judgment is coming. I want you to be my prophet, a prophet of God. And Hosea says, God, I'm in. He's a godly man. He loves the Lord. He says, I'm in. Whatever you need me to do, I will speak your words. I will stand up for you. I will stand against the culture. I'm in. You count me in. I'm in. He says, good. Now, second thing, I want you to get married. God, I'm okay with that too. I, yeah, I don't want to do this ministry thing all by myself. I am more than happy to get married. Who's this wonderful woman that you have picked out for me? Where am I going to find her? And God says to him, in the red light district. <laughs> the red light district. You mean like she has some special outreach ministry to prostitutes, kind of a street ministry thing? Not exactly. The word of the Lord comes to Hosea. And the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman. And have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. In other words, he says to Hosea, your life, your ministry, your marriage is going to be symbolic of what is happening in my relationship with my people. That's what I'm calling you to do. Calling you to not just speak those words. I want you to live them out in front of people. Now, why would God do that? I think there's a couple of reasons. I think one of the reasons is he wants us to understand the depth of the pain that our sin causes. See, because we tend to minimize sin. We tend to kind of just excuse it and, and kind of, it's a few, yeah, I got a few bad habits or, yeah, it's not that big a deal. Everybody else has something, you know, and, and we kind of tend to minimize it or, or, or deny it even. And God says, I want you to see sin from my point of view. It is like an unfaithful wife. I want you to understand the heartbreak and the pain that it causes. I want you to understand what it does to my relationship with you. 
And I think by asking Hosea and calling Hosea to, to live this thing out, man, we, we think of that and we go, whoa, that puts a whole different perspective on our sin. But I think the other part of it is that God wanted us to understand his relentless love for us. Because Hosea knows what he's getting into, just like God does. God knows you. God knows parts of you that you don't even want to admit to yourself. Knows parts of me that I don't want to admit to myself. He knows the depths of my being, and he still loves me. He knows the depths of your being, and he still loves you. Psychologists tell us that most people live with this fear and dread of being found out. And and it kind of goes like this. If you knew the real me, if you could see me like I see me from the inside, you would not like me. You would not love me. And through Hosea, what God is saying is, I see every bit of you, and I still love you. There is nothing you can do that will make me love you any more than I already do. Knowing the reputation, he takes this wife, Gomer. That's her name. And, and, and he takes her as a wife. And, and, and as, as the invitations go out and the save the dates get, arrive in the mailboxes and people look them up and he goes, oh, Hosea's getting married. What a wonderful young Jewish boy. I wonder who he's marrying. Gomer? Does he know her reputation? Does he have any idea what kind of lady she is? I mean, he could do so much better. Why would he do such a thing? What in the world is he thinking? Somebody needs to talk to this boy. And then they gather on the wedding day, and they kind of fill up the chairs in the, in the, in the chapel, and, and the, the whispers are going all around the crowd. I don't give this more than six months. Maybe a year at the outset. But knowing her and knowing him, this is not a match made in heaven. Little do they know it is. But what God is having Hosea act out and live out for us is, I want you to know, this is my love for you. I know your reputation. I know all the ins and outs of who you are. And I still love you. There's nothing you can do that would make me love you any more than I already do. So they get married. And in the same way that kind of our relationship with God goes, there is, there is a ceremony. And there is an exchange of covenant vows. And there's an exchange of a name. Hosea gives his name to his wife. And they become a couple. And though everybody in the audience doesn't give it more than a year probably, it ends up lasting a little bit longer. They actually live together and, and are married for not long enough to have three kids. And they have their first child. It's a son. And they name him Jezreel. God t- tells them to name him Jezreel. The name Jezreel means judgment because my judgment is coming, God is saying. And then they have a little girl and they name her Lo Ruama, which means not loved. Because my people no longer love me. And then you can begin to see the chinks in the marriage because the third child is born. It's a daughter. And they name her Loami, which means not mine. And you kind of wonder if Hosea has some very sneaking suspicions. This isn't even my kid. But God gives that name because he says, I want you to know my people are no longer my people. And eventually her promiscuity becomes very public and she moves out and she leaves Hosea with the kids and she takes up with another lover and on and on the story goes and Hosea is mortified 
He is heartbroken. He is undone. And it is a picture of God's love in his heart for you and for me. And in this, he prophesies, but his words are actually the prophecy of God. But it's not just words, it's his heart. Because Hosea is feeling this too. This is personal. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me food and water, my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and the gold, which they've used now for Baal. Hosea says she didn't even even realize I'm the one that has loved her. I'm the one that's cared for her. And it's the heart of God saying, my people have left me and gone after other gods, and they don't understand I am the one who has loved them. I am the one who's cared for them. It's a heartbreaking story. But it's not the end of the story. Now, by every right, by Jewish law, Hosea has the right to divorce. I'm done with her. I've done my part. I've been faithful. She walked away. She left me. I got nothing more to do. By every right, he can do that. But see, that's not the end of the story. Because the second part of this is there's nothing you can do that will make God love you any less. And God comes to Hosea a second time. And these are the words. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. I'm not really sure about the raisin cakes. I don't know. Maybe that was their version of Krispy Kreme donuts. I don't know. Not really clear on that part. But what God is saying is don't give up on her because I don't give up on you. See, this is the relentless love of God. He doesn't stop loving us. Even when we would turn our back on him. He just keeps pursuing with his love. That's what he's telling Hosea to do. You keep loving her. Go back after her. Don't give up on her. And notice, by the way, he says, go after her. Not after she has repented and decided to come back. No, you go and pursue her. Now you take the initiative because that's what God does. God continues to take the initiative with us. He keeps reaching out in his love. He keeps pursuing us with his love. He will not give up on us. Even if we try to turn our back on him, he keeps pursuing, regardless of what she's done, regardless of who she's become now. He says, go and love her again. Because things have taken a really bad turn for Gomer in the meantime. Because what was love, one lover has become two and more. And eventually has become that she has sold herself into a life of prostitution. And now it's a different man every night. And she needs to be brought back But there's a price involved because now she needs to be redeemed. She's owned by somebody else now. And the only way for Hosea to bring her back is he needs to go and pay a price and actually buy her back. He needs to redeem her. So I bought her, Hosea writes, for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any other man. And I will behave the same way toward you. Now, what you need to understand is that is a huge price to pay. 15 shekels of silver. And then he goes on another homer and and, and lethic of barley. And, And what that means, that in all total comes to about four months wages. 
Okay? This is like every penny, everything that he owns, it's going to cost him. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands this morning, but I know financial planners tell us we should have at least two to three months worth of reserve in an emergency account just in case something happens with our jobs. Okay? And I won't ask for how many hands have people who actually have that. But what I do want you to think about is what would it take for you to actually set aside and save up four months worth of wages? See, that's a lot. And we know, we know, 15 shekels of silver, that is probably all the cash and money that he could actually get together and get, actually have on hand and available to him. And we know that because he goes not just into his savings, he starts taking out of the pantry the very food that he is relying on to eat tomorrow, the barley that's stored in the pantry. What he is doing, it is costing him just about everything he has to be able to buy her back. And he does it. He says, this is God's heart. This is his relentless love. He's willing to pay whatever it takes to bring you back to him. And notice when he brings her back, he doesn't scold her. He doesn't berate her. He doesn't say, you're lucky I took you back. You owe me big time now. He doesn't do any of that. The only thing that he says is he reminds her of her marriage vows. You're to be my husband now. No other men. That's all I'm asking. Be faithful to me, and I'll be faithful to you. That is the relentless love of God. There's nothing you can do that would make him love you anymore. And he already does. And there's nothing, nothing you could do that could make him love you any less. His love keeps pursuing we don't know much else where that goes, the rest of the story. But we do know Hosea's prophetic decrees. And in one of them, there are these words. And it's God speaking to his people through Hosea that they've seen live this whole thing out. And he says these words. God speaks to his people. He speaks to you. He speaks to me. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. I will show my love to the people I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.